lamest jokes never get old. Just like Marius's friends! Itwit, Blubber, Oddman, Tweak! Anglofies. Gettle's gone. Well done, Russia. Not words you hear often from political commentators. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl. That'd be better. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody. It's classy movie season, and we're here to talk you through the awards, shenanigans, bullshit, and shitstorms. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee, and I'm just honored to be in such prestigious company. <laughs> and we have our very first guest. This is very exciting for us. The lovely Cleo Linda Jones is here to help us talk about classy movies and the award season because she is kind of known for that. Yay. Hey guys, I'd like to thank God, my agent. <laughs> the lovely Emily. <laughs> Different Emily, actually. The lovely Emily was my uh, college roommate. We have to think of a new name for Agent Emily, unless that's oh, her name. Okay. Agent, Agent M. Miss M. Miss M. The beauteous <laughs> Emily. If you, Do you follow think her agent or your lawyer first, what's the protocol for that? I don't know. She's definitely acted for me in like legal capacity to go shut down plagiarists on fanfiction.net. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in negotiations, you thank your agent first. If you're being sued, you thank your lawyer first. I think that's Pretty the much. protocol. That's fair. That's fair. You don't see enough people thanking their lawyers for smiting down their enemies in their speeches. We do need to make that a thing. I do think we need well, to make that a thing. As the, you know, Anglophies legal team, <laughs> I do think we need to make that a thing. Anne Hathaway will remember next time she has to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Harlan Ellison ever wins anything... That'll be the first person he thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and and that actually segues us very neatly, well done, Cleo, into our first topic, which is the Golden Globes, which was last weekend. And I we all watched like it was our job. It, it was our job, but we're not getting paid. <laughs> um, but I love the Drinky Oscars, even if Meryl wasn't there, which was... Jodie Foster stepped in very handily to, to take over that role. God bless. <laughs> yeah. As, as I asked my roommate, did Jodie Foster come out or did she tell us to all go fuck ourselves? And she said, yes. She came <laughs> out about never going to come out ever. Yeah. So it's over and get over it. And yet they still censored her. I... I suspect that there was someone in the audience who was yelling something. Because that is so weird. Uh, my friend Annie was saying that apparently they censored wolf whistles and her saying Jesus in reply. It's like uh -huh. they just wanted to make sure nobody yelled out anything weird, so they censored seven seconds anyway. Uh-huh. I don't know. Oh. I mean, I fully believe that when they censored out Jeremy Renner towards the end of the night when he was introducing Zero Dark Thirty, that he was saying something along the lines of, Catherine Bigelow is a fucking badass. Or she and the screenwriter will fuck your shit up or something. I don't know. I fully believe that that was a legitimate Golden Globes, you know, got bit by Bono saying fuck on stage once and they're never going <laughs> to 
again. <laughs> it's expensive, yeah. It it's an equivalent of the drinking Oscars. It's a necessity. You have to have something bleeped out. It doesn't matter what it is. You just need the bleep. Exactly. It used to be that in Canada we would we wouldn't get censored, like the tweet, the feed wouldn't get censored. But I guess either they changed how they broadcast and they just grab the American or something. So now we do, and it really irks me because we're not supposed to care about the word fuck up here. Like this was my feeling of superiority. Like, <laughs> yeah. And now I'm getting stupid censored feeds, and it, mm, yeah. <laughs> So now I still don't know what Jodie Foster. Well, I mean, we all know what Jodie Foster said, but because <laughs> there's yeah. transcripts and yeah, and she looked amazing. I wish she I had looked that good now, much less at fifty. I really liked her dress with the the top and the <clears throat> the straps and the yeah. Yeah, I think I saw a comment on Tumblr. Someone saying, "Jodie, did Thorin give you that in Moria?" Like, <laughs> yeah. It was just a great show this year. I mean, the whole thing about the Golden Globes is it's supposed to be the cooler, uh, the, the cooler version of the Oscars, and the fact that they actually stepped to the plate and made it genuinely funny instead of just, "Hey, I'm Ricky Gervais and I'm really smug," because I can't stand that man for one mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was it was funny, but it wasn't mean. I mean, it had a couple sort of moments where everyone sort of gasped because they were laughing at Taylor Swift. Um, I, I entirely encourage just because I'm that petty. And for the first time, Miss Golden Globes was joined by Mr. Golden Balls. <laughs> Who is the exact double of Michael J. Fox? Oh I my know. god, he just got cloned. It was creepy. It's like, where is where is the DeLorean? I was amazed. Mm-hmm. It looks just like his dad. I don't even remember who the female one was. Who um, stopped with Clint Eastwood and Francis Fisher's daughter. Oh, okay. Jessica Eastwood. Yeah. I, I think what Amy and Tina were able to do that Ricky Gervais and based on the nomination announcements, uh, Seth MacFarlane were not able to do, is that they know who to make fun of. And they know how to do it affectionately. So, I mean, although that slam on Taylor Swift was, was really gorgeous and not nice <laughs> anyway. And I really appreciated it. But, right. but they, know, they know what spirit to make fun of things in. And, like, really, Seth MacFarlane? It's like... 5.30 in the morning, your time, and you're making Hitler jokes? Like, that's a thing you went for? Exactly. When they first announced, and I, I had this thought process go through my head at least three times, when they first announced Seth MacFarlane was hosting the Oscars, I was like, oh, really? That's great! I love Weekend Update! <laughs> <laughs> that was my exact thought process. And I thought, yes, they can get Stefan, and they're like, oh, wait, it's Family Guy. Oh, it's, it's, that's the wrong... Seth, can I get the right Seth, please? That'd be awesome. Do you remember when they got John Stewart and he made fun of it? He was like, "And I'm, ho- you know, I am the the third male lead in Death to Snoopy or something, whatever." Yeah. He was. I think it got a little easier out there for a pimp. I thought he did a great job. I loved him. Yeah. This was a very underrated year, I think, especially when you compare it to just how safe they got. I mean, I, I kind of resented when they brought out Billy Crystal because like, oh, he's dressed as Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, he's making fat jokes and black jokes. And wow, which you know era of the Neanderthals did they dig up this man from? It was insulting. And I wasn't you know, particularly looking forward to the Brett Ratner produced one we were supposed to get, but they went so far in the other direction of being safe that it was practically comatose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Comatose and racist. <laughs> yeah. It's true. An accomplishment, really. But the other thing I've loved about 
Tina Fey and Amy Poehler's, they were so willing to put themselves in on the joke as well. And they were never punching below their weight like Seth MacFarlane was with the announcements, which was, hey, it's a director who sits in a chair. And hey, these women who pretend to, you know, have fancy Harvey Weinstein things. I get there's being, you know, sort of poking fun and there's just kind of being cruel. The mm-hmm. first category, while he wasn't, I mean, it was just, and he's one, and he's also one, and he's, I mean, it was just dismissive right off the bat, and I was right. like, which, which is great and all, but, you know, there are people who are really excited about getting their nomination, maybe their first mm-hmm. nomination, and for you to go in and be all like, I mean, this could really affect people's careers, it mm-hmm. really can, mm-hmm. and for him to just be like, yeah, y'all do nothing, y'all sit in chairs, you already won this before, I'm like, Mm, okay. There was You're no balance in. between poking fun at it and actually acknowledging that it's a really big deal to be nominated in the first place, which is one of the things that I think Tina and Amy did really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And snuggled George Clooney. That was amazing. <laughs> that, was yeah. that is how you rebound. Yeah, which is made even more amazing is that within five minutes, there was already a picture going around Tumblr with Joe Biden's face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> but I will say, I mean, straight off the bat, I don't like Lena Dunham, but when she gave the speech and she says, thank you for getting me through middle school. And I was like, oh, you just, you don't do that. Middle yeah, school. I, I mean, talk about the most backhanded compliment you I can give. I knew what she meant. I, 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 know, yeah. I know, but it was one of those things. Really. I, I think Tina and Amy did it really well in the end, but yeah. it was just, think about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, like, I, I mean, it's, I didn't, I didn't mind too much because like, what is she supposed to say? You know, it's not her fault she's, got nominated at such a young age like if it really will but yeah i guess i could lack see of perspective on her part and yeah. but i just went oh no that's a oh, funny thing although oh, i do love the fact that they played um dancing on my own by robin when she won because that is an amazing song mm-hmm. <laughs> oh and drunk glenn close which is another <laughs> one. this was an amazingly gift friendly golden globes this year From it's true everybody's like in on it, except for Sasha Baron Cohen was like being we- I mean, yeah. weird for him, which is yeah. normal. I don't he really just, know. Her. He just contrasted how great the hosts were doing because he came out and did the kind of thing that Ricky Gervais did, and it was just so awkward. Exactly. I almost wondered if he was like making fun of Ricky Gervais in some weird performance art way, like he was being awful on purpose. Like I, I wouldn't tell. put it past him. Yeah. yeah. It does sound like him. <laughs> I think my favorite. I think this was the Golden Globes, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, back from when Borat was getting, like, all the awards, and he had the huge speech about, like, the, the bubble of air caught in his oh, co-stars. Because <laughs> I saw that in the theater, and I was so traumatized. <laughs> I didn't want to have flashbacks. I didn't want to relive that. Oh, you, you know what's another funny gif that came out is when Tommy Lee Jones was... <laughs> He smiles like this. Smiles like that. That was amazing. Do <laughs> uh, so you want him to win the Oscar just so he can do that face for the entire thing? Exactly. Well, I mean, when he won for The Fugitive, I, I I'm old, God. <laughs> and he came up. He had his hair shaved for Cobb, so like balding all the way back to his neck and he gets up and he's like first thing I want to say is this is not my real hair <laughs> I still have it all <laughs> I like him I really do yeah I just I, I saved that that thing of, of Taylor Swift just kind of be like 
Oh. <laughs> when Adele went up to the stairs, <laughs> I saved that with extreme prejudice. I plan on using it as often as I can. Well, I remember from your live vlog when you're like, there needs to be a gif of this. Santa, I have been so good. <laughs> it's not that I, I like hate her or I think her music's terrible. I just, she just is so amazingly something. I don't know. <laughs> just so cheerfully up her own ass. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> just... Yeah, it was just such a wonderful contrast from Adele as well, who high fived Daniel Craig and was talking about just going out and pissing herself laughing, and was just was like, "Yes, Britain, this is what we're good at." Yeah. Even though I don't like the song, but I, I want her to win just because she's Adele and the, she's really funny. The thing that Adele and Taylor Swift actually have in common is that despite having these amazingly successful careers for a few years now, anytime they win something, they do this. Oh gosh, is it me? I can't believe it. And it's like. Shut up. Just close your mouth. Wasn't that what Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell were parodying when they came out to present the... I think they were parodying Kristen Wiig's Taylor Swift impression on SNL (laughs) during the the Jay-Z Beyonce baby skit. Because she had that exact face when she was Taylor Swift in that skit. (laughs) So I thought they were just kind of... They took that and ran with it, but... Mm. I I enjoy the idea that they were... You know, just totally faking, like, oh, oh, I saw that movie, because I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to, oh, oh, that's, yeah. 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 Get out of here. I just thought that whole thing went on way too long, which is why I appreciated Tommy Lee's face. But I, I think that was kind of the point, right? Like, that it goes on so long, it makes them, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Will Ferrell, like, he looked, I don't know, there's something about the way he looked. Suddenly old. Well, the statue. I don't know, but like it was like that's Will Ferrell. I had that moment. Like, yeah, I don't. What is Kevin Costner okay? <laughs> I... <laughs> he did seem to be giving some sort of last rites as he was speaking. You thought he was going to be yeah. the end of you know Lord of the Rings where they put him out in the boat. Yeah, that's what somebody said. Like, are are he and Jodie Foster getting on the white ship to the Grey Havens? <laughs> like, are they okay? I. I took it as a, this is possibly the legitimately the last time I will ever be up to accept an award. So I'm, and last time was 20 bazillion years ago. Oh. And there were a whole thing, bunch of things that I didn't know about me and myself and how my life was going to go. So I was kind of a selfish dick then. And now I'm trying to be, this might be my last chance to... Make this kind of speech, so I'm gonna fucking make the most of it. Well, you should have apologized for the postman at least. I was waiting for that. Just sort of like, look, I'm really sorry about that. I don't know why I was. Speaking. I don't think she so wants money. to remind anybody. It's been long enough, so that's something. Or Waterworld. Well, like my mother texts me and goes, "Does he have cancer?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is he okay? That was so strange. It, it, it was a bit weird. God bless him, though. God bless him. <laughs> what was the other? There was some other just fantastic. No, it was because he beat Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Apparently, Tumblr erupted in outrage. It ended up on clairvoyant wank or something about just how furious they were. That... Oh, Tumblr. Oh, well, God, that... no. Tumblr was going to explode in either direction, and Tumblr 
has constantly been exploding over the fact that their baby Benedict has never been but never won anything and the Baptists hate him and the, the Emmys hate him and the Golden Globes hate him. Everyone hates him and how he's so misunderstood. You guys know. <laughs> and, oh, can you, and of course, Tumblr's going to be like, surely he'll win it for Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> and even if he did, even if like in some parallel universe he did, there would still be a subsection of Tumblr that's like, but he never won for Sherlock. <laughs> Assholes. Don't you know this is the very pinnacle of all Western entertainment and Eastern entertainment? Yeah. Man, if Elementary gets nominated for stuff next year, it is gonna go down. It's gonna, oh, be, it's gonna be awesome. I, I can't wait. To it. <laughs> oh. Okay, I have to ask the you know other side of the Atlantic a question. Why do you guys like Downton Abbey so much? I don't know. I th- well, I think it's the same reason that Americans like the royal family. Like you know, it 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 feeds into the kind of the the image we have of Britain. In our heads, and it has Maggie Smith. I mean, it has okay, Maggie- I understand that. I mean, Maggie Smith can do no wrong. As I said, the reason we got the Nobel Peace Prize for the European Union was because of Maggie Smith. But she, I just, I mean, you can give her all the awards. I just, I don't get the appeal of the show at all. Mainly just because every time I watch it, I think I hate you people. I can't stand all of this sort of, you know, mooning over the privilege. I don't care. I just want something. I want a revolution to happen or something. It's- it's funny you mention that because uh, the curse of my house is that Fox News is the default channel on our TV. Uh, I will accept your condolences mm-hmm. uh, as many as you would like Donations to Donations can be sent to Cleo Linda Jones, P.O. Box. <laughs> <laughs> Please send flowers to I, I just, it, it's tough, but I, I know how the other side thinks, basically, because I have to hear it all day long. And today, today they had a discussion of why is Downton Abbey such a big deal and they had some british journalist of some kind some some woman who was trying to explain this and one of the guys goes well i noticed it really seems to support like a conservative you know view on life and and they showed some clip where some irish guy i haven't watched the show oh you know oh it's not just stuff it's important and you know English guy at the dinner table was all like, I just think it's funny that you're acting Irish and you're just, this is your character. And and they were like, see, it supports a very conservative view of the world. And she was like, I have to completely disagree with you because I've seen season three and that's kind of not what it's like at all. And the Irish character becomes cool. So shut up. And I thought that was just hysterical. (laughs) Well, it should be noted that the writer of the show, Julian Fellows, is actually a, a Tory in the House of Lords. So, yeah, he is like a lord or something. So I was like, I mean, yeah. if you want to, you know, Downton Abbey done well, watch Gosford Park, which he also wrote, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go on for hours and hours and hours. I've seen that. It does have Maggie Smith in it as well. So, right. I really like Downton Abbey. I mean, one, uh, yes, it is a cheesy soap opera. I kind of like it. For in that. period costume. In, peri- in gorgeous costumes and gorgeous set decoration. Um, I think most of the acting is really good. And yes, it's rich people problems, but you know, I don't care. I think it's, it's pretty. Just, none of us would actually like to live 
in a time and place where we had to dress up for dinner because eventually you just want to shoot yourself in the head. But we all like to kind of daydream about the time when you dress up for dinner. You know, when you're sitting on the couch in your PJs and munching on cereal and you're watching them swan around in gowns and... And say incredibly witty things and throw incredibly acerbic shade at each other and... (laughs) I wish my life was like that, but then I would probably be the one getting snarked on, so maybe not. Right. And, you know, and, I mean, the evolution of some, I mean, some of the characters, the writing has not been good for them, and for others, the evolution of their character, like the character of the middle daughter, Lady Edith, like the first season, she's a total bitch, middle child bitch. And the second season, third season, she's growing and learning and becoming kind of a human. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed watching that. And I feel the same thing for the eldest daughter, Lady Mary. Also, Michelle Stockery's eyebrows are flawless and perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and could solve, like, the national debt crisis if anyone would just give... I think we've talked about it longer than, you know, any kind of acceptance speech or award. <laughs> <laughs> and Maggie this... Smith wasn't even there. Yeah, Maggie... <laughs> yeah, she never goes to the overseas award shows. I mean, I know her health was bad the past couple of years. Um, and I think she just, like, won globes. I'm not getting on a plane for that. Fuck well, you. Someone says she, she couldn't attend because she's got so many awards blocking up the door of her house she can't get out. <laughs> hold on, hold on. It's true. Oh, yeah. Well, she she shot Deathly Hallows while getting treated for breast cancer. Because you That's cannot right. hold her down. Exactly, because McGonagall is just that awesome. You can only hope to contain her. <laughs> okay, okay, before we move off, Maggie, because Maggie Smith and Overseas Awards, quick uh, movie plug. If you guys ever see California Sweet from 1987... Um, starring Jane Fonda, Alan Alda, Maggie Smith, Michael Caine as a marriage couple, <laughs> among others. Uh, and it's like on TV, oh, probably on TCM. Mm-hmm. Check it out. It's it's like a weird little film about, it focuses on four completely separate groups that just happen to stay in the same hotel. So it's like four separate stories. Maggie Smith and Michael Caine play a married couple who, who are British who came to America because she got nominated for an Oscar and she actually really badly wants it. And their actual fake marriage kind of breaks down, and it's it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like a modern grand hotel, maybe. Well, 1987, but yeah. Well, oh. right. I mean, grand hotel from like the 30s or 40s, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Sorry, back on track. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, she was nominated for an Oscar, so that totally ties in. Yes. Is she nominated for an Oscar? No. In the movie, no, her the character. Movie. All right, sorry, I thought you meant this year, because I know she's nominated for the SAG. Yeah. Which brings us to our topic. (laughs) Predictions. Right. Um, So we're going to talk about the SAGs first, because they're Sunday? Next Sunday? When are they? Cleo? Next Sunday, I think. I have, there's two weeks. Two weeks between them. This week is the week off, yeah. Okay. Um, So you can... Find the SAG Award nominees at Wikipedia because Wikipedia has everything. Nicely formatted. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's great. Um, so, hey, Dick Van Dyke for the Lifetime Achievement Award. That's interesting. Let's see. How old is he now? Oh, 87. I'm assuming he won't come out. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, maybe. I don't know. He'll come out and admit that he actually is a Cockney, and that was his real Cockney accent in Mary Poppins. There we go. Yeah. Okay, so for male, male actor in a leading role, we have Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook, which I have not seen. Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln, which I have seen, and we're going to talk about that. John Hawks in The Sessions. Hugh Jackman in Les Miserables. See, I can pronounce it. Unlike everybody else at the, the Golden oh, Globes. Who won it at the Golden the, the, the... The say-off. I remember tweeting about it, but now I don't remember who it was, but somebody said it really, really funnily. It wasn't Catherine Zeta-Jones, was it? No, it was a man, and it was close to the end, and I don't remember, but yeah, there were pronunciations. Right. And our final nominee is Hollywood's black friend, Denzel Washington. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, Dustin Hoffman, by the way, who, oh. who won the, the French off on that one. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Denzel um, Washington. Uh, I mean, I think Daniel Day-Lewis will take it. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing, I, the one I would consider the closest coming to getting that word off him would be Bradley Cooper, just based solely on how much love Silver Lane's playbook suddenly has. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's Day-Lewis is for the taking. I mean, he's playing Lincoln. Exactly. In a movie by Spielberg, written by Tony Kushner. How does this fail? Exactly. I mean, it's Daniel Day-Lewis who, you know, he does a role every three or four years because his process is so fucking crazy. Oh, we haven't talked about the hunting of the mice and the bringing of them home. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that like his next movie being written there or something? Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I would love to see what speech he gives at the SAGs and whether, you know, like, I want him to give speeches with the method getting progressively (laughs) more insane. Well, he got a Lifetime Achievement BAFTA or something, and he turned to the empty chair next to him and says, I'm so glad to have President Obama with me today. I was like, yes, I love you. Burn! Well done. Well done, my son. I mean, I... Would love to see Hugh Jackman get it because I thought he was fantastic in Les Mis. He got the other and Golden Globe. I he mean... got the other Golden Globe, and I think, and I think this is true for the Oscar as well. In any other year, if if Daniel Day Lewis wasn't in the pack, it would be his for the taking. Now I don't know. Well, and there's also a sense that he has a much longer and more storied career than Bradley Cooper and Bradley Cooper may just be it may be great for him to just be here and there's a whole thought process about who didn't get it before and should get it now and deserves to get it for a body of work and they Mm -hmm. whereas I think the SAGs actually tend to look at it as actor to actor how good was your performance this year and how do we as actors feel about it whereas with the Oscars you do have this weird logic of playing catch up a lot Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I, I always wonder the Oscars, like there was with Silver Lane's Playbook which I think has eight nominations at the Oscars mm-hmm. which clearly means that there is a group of people that have this concentrated adoration of it mm-hmm. and they could push it through but it really depends on the politics of it I mean you don't really see that sort of political play with the SAGs or you didn't see it with the Globes this year either I found it to be a surprising bunch of winners this year usually I can predict it off the bat and this year I couldn't mm-hmm. How much do the SAGs do you think mean to the actors like does it do you think it it means a lot to win it from your peers like purely from your peers well you see in the the ads for the sags that 
pe- re- constant repeated themes in acceptance speeches. It's, this is great because it's from the actors. <laughs> I think it means a lot personally, but I don't ever see it in advertisement. You know, mm-hmm. a ca- starring Academy Award nominee. They never mention the SAG, so I don't think they have as much advertising value. But mm-hmm. I think they mean a lot within the industry. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> so, outstanding performance by female actor. We have Jessica Chastain for Zero Duck Thirty, Marion Cotillard for Rust and Bone, Jennifer Lawrence, Silver Linings Playbook, Helen Mirren, Hitchcock, and Naomi Watts, The Impossible. Please not Naomi Watts. Please don't reward. It's that between movie. Chastain and Lawrence. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll come down to politics, how comfortable they feel with Zero Dark Thirty as a yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. And I've that seen love... Zero Dark Thirty, and I completely understand the um, apprehensions about it, particularly politically, which is why I think that they're giving a lot more love to Argo than mm-hmm. they are to Zero Dark Thirty, and also because I think they, they really, really just want to hug Ben Affleck all the time. Look how well <laughs> you've done. You're in Surviving Christmas, and now you're this. <laughs> so I haven't seen Argo, so I'll need to catch up with that one. Um, it, and also, if they give it to Jennifer Lawrence, she's going to give a really sweet, charming speech that's really funny, and mm-hmm. she's lovely, and then she'll piss everyone off, and then she'll, everyone will be like, excuse me, it was a movie quote, you idiots. I can't yeah, believe so many people didn't get that. Even I caught that one. Right. Besides, if you beat Meryl at the Golden Globes, you get to say Meryl? You get to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Silver Linings Playbook love may get concentrated in an award for her, possibly. I could really see Jessica Chastain getting it, though. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it will come down to the two of them. I think Naomi Watts is probably the outlier. Yeah. I remember uh, seeing this. It was a quote somewhere about how Jessica Chastain's, it was an article, career suddenly, you know, materialized. And, I, and I, I, all I could think was, well, maybe she would have had one before. She didn't look exactly like Bryce Dallas Howard. I think people just couldn't tell them apart for so long. And then they're like, wait, no, she's actually a whole other person. I like Bryce Dallas Howard. I do too. You've also got exactly the same. Amy Adams and is it Isla Fisher? Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher. Sasha Baron Cohen's wife. A woman of infinite patience. We got a lot of redheads running around who look really similar. So, although apparently. Mama may be the number one movie this week in this, you know, horror movie she's in. And she has, like, short, dark hair. Mm-hmm. Not not a punk look exactly, but I was like, that's pretty smart for you to change the look up a little bit. Especially since you've now got the first and second place movies in one weekend. Right. <laughs> yeah. Go you, right. but good, good to look a little bit different there. Yeah, there was, there was an article in Slate, I think, talking what... Talking about the question of, is Mama going to be Jessica Chastain's Norbit? Like, Eddie Murphy pretty much lost a Sherlock on his, on a Best Supporting Actor Oscar because Norbit came out and it was awful. Yeah, but apparently this is really good. So yeah, that's, that's the article's so. conclusion was that this was good. This was shot long before Zero Dark Thirty was mm-hmm. even on her plate. Um well, we'll see what happens. Since they're still they're voting and the votes aren't in yet, it can actually really, really help you mm-hmm. to have two very different – like I, I maintain to this day that the reason Jim Broadbent won that year was not because he was so good in Iris. He was. Although he was. Because yeah. he was also 
in Moulin Rouge that year, and it was such a different character. Mm -hmm. I mean, just wildly different. And when you have that kind of contrast, you go, okay, this is this person's range, and you're not supposed to be rewarding them for more than one performance, but you kind of are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's I think there's really a tendency of the Oscars to say, well done for what you've accomplished and what you are going to accomplish. I think they like to sort of give it to someone who they feel like is going to benefit from it. Which is why I don't think Quivangene Wallace or Emmanuel Riva are going to win the Oscar. No. Mm-hmm. And I said her name right! I've been doing <laughs> I'm glad somebody... I was going to... I just saw Beast of the Southern Wild on... Monday. Nobody. I, they made it sound like it was spirited away in Louisiana. I didn't know I was going to be crying for the last fifteen minutes. I don't cry in movies that much, and I'm sitting there in the recliner, being like, "Oh my god!" I almost crying. saw it last night, and then I was like, "No, no, I just had the Fringe finale. I, I am ugly, no. cried out. I need don't something fluffy." So we did Paranorman instead. That little girl is a boss, though. Mm-hmm. I was just. Wow, if somehow she did win it, she would deserve it. If she did somehow, holy crap. <laughs> That's the interesting thing with the Oscars this year, the oldest and the youngest nominees for that category ever, or together this yeah. year. Ever, right? Because they say they're actually somebody like a few days younger than her, and a few I, days I, older I than... had this written down somewhere. This You can actually find the entire list on the wonderful Wikipedia again of yeah. all of the youngest nominees and winners. Mm. So. so, which is where I looked it up. So, she's almost, uh, I think she's a, she's less than a year older than the young, the actual youngest. It might be also, like, nominees for the leading categories versus yeah. nominees ever. Is it also the age she was when she was nominated, or the age she was when she was in the movie? Because apparently she was, like, five years old in the movie. Holy okay. shit. Oh, wow. It's done by the year that you're nominated, I believe. Yeah. No. So. Yeah. But she lied yeah, about think... her age to get into the um to the audition. She was supposed to be six and she was actually five. <laughs> she couldn't <laughs> read properly. That a girl. That a girl, yeah. <laughs> okay. So outstanding performance by a male actor in a supporting role. Alan Arkin in Argo. Javier Bardem in Skyfall. Alina, I know where your vote is. Yeah. <laughs> Robert De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook, Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master, and Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln. I, I thought Tommy Lee Jones stole that movie. He stole it and put it under his pillow <laughs> and frowned at it. <laughs> you mean smiled? <laughs> I think this is a category was... I think is the widest open, and this also applies to the Oscars as well. Um, I think this one will come down to how the rest of the movies are doing that evening. Mm-hmm. With here, it's a different instance because this, for the SAGs, Javier Bardem is nominated, but he's not nominated for the Oscar. Christoph Waltz's for Django mm-hmm. Unchained, and, and, and not Leonardo DiCaprio. <sighs> they hate Leo. Why do they hate Poor him? Leo. They've nominated they him just... three times. I don't think they hate him. I think they're just waiting until he's. Him. They just, they're waiting for him to do his Holocaust movie like Kate Winslet did. They offer yeah. and they can't get away. <laughs> or they're waiting for him to make his like Al Gore documentary because he said he's going to take some time off to go save the environment or something because, you know, campaigning for the Great Gatsby in 3D is going to be amazing. Yeah, no, they, they nominate him and then they go, ooh, you smell like Scorsese. <laughs> I can't believe they moved the Great Gatsby back. I just, I, oh, Jay-Z is doing the score and it's going to be such a mess. I, I'm so excited. <laughs> I said it before when the trailer came out, it's either going to be the greatest movie ever made or it's going to be a showgirls-style hot mess. Either way, I'm seeing it in 3D. I was going to say, either way, it's going to be awesome. Exactly. I love awesomely bad movies. We all know this. It's true. (laughs) 
I think even my sister hated the, the book because she had to study in school. She was like, I'm seeing this movie. There's <laughs> hilarious. So wrong with it. And Helen Peterson of the Hairpin, people who follow Cleo will know, link in the show notes, had uh, a really hilarious um, analysis of where she basically said, well, if you look at uh, Leo DiCaprio and his desire for the Oscar and then compare, compare it to Gatsby and his desire for Daisy, he's basically Aww. played himself. Oh. <laughs> So sad. But we did get that beautiful gif on Golden Globes night. The, the silent rage. <laughs> <laughs> he dreamed a dream of time gone by. Oh, <laughs> we'll link that in the show notes too because it's beautiful. I think we're just going to have to link to all of these gifs of because the gifs. they're so wonderful. Yeah. Please do because I didn't see that one. Oh, I, I have to like save all of these for like future responses to anything in life <laughs> what i find so fascinating is that everybody when the master first came out at i guess it was film festivals or previews or whatever everybody was talking about this is your best picture this is your best director this it's it's gonna sweep this is what it is and then it's like nothing so i wouldn't be yeah. surprised if they give this to philip seymour hoffman here because christoph waltz is not not in this list i <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if they try again like the idea of giving something to silver linings playbook pick one good, you know, maybe screenplay or whatever it's up for. I can't remember what it's up against. You know, find a way to acknowledge this movie that they just completely ignored otherwise. Because apparently he and Joaquin Phoenix are really, really great. And mm-hmm. it just it just whiffed when it got up to bat. I don't know what happened. I, I think part, I, mean, I just is, looked at when it was released. It was released it was in September. September. It was... That was a while ago. For... That's, that's early by Oscar standards, and also yeah. the film, it was hugely loved by critics, but I think it was still very divisive. It's not mm-hmm. a it's not a typical film. It really does sort of play around with narrative. It's very ambiguous. It's, it's extremely frustrating at times as well, um, it, but it's very much about the actors, I think, for people who are nominating mm-hmm. the stuff. I don't think they're really going to thinking... I mean, they like to nominate Paul Thomas Anderson. They never give him any wins. It's usually about the actors. So, But I was very surprised to see the fact that Joaquin Phoenix got in because he's essentially spent months telling the Oscars to go fuck themselves. Exactly. <laughs> I kind of... I, I want him to win because I want to hear exactly. this. Exactly! <laughs> I, that... I spent so much of my teenage years just, like, slightly obsessing over him in a really weird way because I had a massive crush on him when I was 15 mm-hmm. and I just want to see him be really awkward and stand up there and have everyone look at him saying well 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 what do you think now I think <laughs> the Oscars just do it because they kind of want the the person they're nominating they, they want to prove that they're superior so they're like we're just going to nominate you and then you're going to have to stand there and admit that <laughs> you have to kiss our ass because we're better you know what I mean like well, he's being marched out to all the award ceremonies as well, but that's what happens when Harvey Weinstein produces your movie. Yeah. That man is marching him out there. I just know that if Javier Bardem loses this, the hair in the next one is going to be out of control. <laughs> there is no good hair for old men. There is no good hair. No. Oh, I think There's we can no just... good hair for Bardem. If he's in a movie, you just look at the hair and then you know. Yep. How good that you could you could oh god he was so good though you're right like he was good yeah he was good and in in Lincoln I I saw a comment from somebody going I went to see Lincoln and I was like wow that wig they have on Tommy Lee Jones that's awful and then I saw an actual picture of Thaddeus Stevens and I went oh <laughs> <laughs> and there's a point where. 
even the character himself is like, look, you've never seen me without my wig because I look like shit without it. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him winning it. This, I mean, y'all are right. This is so wide open. I could see Alan Arkin winning it if Argo picks up steam. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know. Yeah. I know. Isn't it exciting to actually be in an award season where things are wide open and it's not all cut and dried? I know. I love it. It makes such a change. Can I go on a slight tangent? Can we it's get through female actors first? It's or... kind of Argo is the one okay. that got me on it. I okay. promise to make it very brief. Okay. Okay. My, my tiny cry of rage. Why is Cloud Atlas so snubbed for, you know, racial issues? But when Ben Affleck plays a Hispanic man who's actually still alive, it's okay. Because Tangent it's an over. American hero story. Tangent over. Go on. I have a theory, actually, a very quick theory, is that, see, I, I looked at everything about Cloud Atlas and I went, they ain't never gonna nominate that movie for anything. It is going to frighten them. Not even the race stuff, just the movie as it's going to frighten these little old white men who make up the majority of the Academy. <laughs> However, they're going to see a more and they're going to be like, oh my God. That's my life. <laughs> well, the average, the average Ampus member voting age is about 71 or something. Well, maybe yeah. not 70, but it's certainly 50 plus. It's like the... And they don't do genre very often, so... The median, median age is like 60. I mean, it's something terrifying. I think Amour, because I'm surprised a foreign film that grim got as much attention from them as it did. And I went, no, no, it's because they... They understand because, this. Yeah. They, they may not have seen anything Cloud else Michael Hanukkah has done as well, because if they'd seen funny games, they might have reconsidered. Yeah. Oh, that movie haunts is, my Is it more like both in the best foreign and best film? Yes. yes. Which, and director. Yeah, they're trying to, to pull weird. Life is Beautiful with it. Like, I always think that's weird. I kind of think... I don't know that it should be a, a rule against that, but it seems kind of double-dipping somehow, even though, obviously, this one, yeah. It's very rare to actually see them put a foreign language film in there um, at, at all for Best Picture. I mean, they, mm. they tend to kind of treat it the way that animation used to be treated before they opened up 10 nominations, which was, there are films and then there are cartoons. <laughs> Do not separate this line unless you're Beauty and the Beast. So I'm all for them opening up that a little bit. So um, it's just very strange to see this very quiet, gentle, happy-looking, soft-spoken old man and then realize that he directed Funny Games, which, you know, still haunts me. <laughs> It's like when you look at all these old horror directors like Tobe Hooper and he just seems like such a jolly old man. <laughs> what is in your mind? Oh, but another reason they didn't nominate Cloud Atlas is it was a huge flop. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because they like, they like big money makers. They like successes. And this was yeah. a you know, $100 million independent movie that made back about three quarters of its budget, maybe. Yeah. But it still hasn't been released here yet. So we might, you know, we might put some more money in the bank for it. Do. Please do. <laughs> so good. <laughs> It's okay, we'll treat you right, Cloud Atlas. Right. Uh, okay. performance by a female actor in a supporting role. Can I do this one? Yes, you can. Yes. Okay, nominees for the SAG are Sally Field in Lincoln, Anne Hathaway in Les Mis, she's going to win it, yes, Helen yes. Hunt in Sessions, Nicole Kidman in IP over Zach Efron's <laughs> and Maggie Smith in this exotic Marigold Hotel because she's Maggie Smith. Right. End of. Yeah, next round. <laughs> We're done here. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a done deal. It was pretty much a done deal the moment her name was announced as that character. It's it's true. I mean, I know there were some comments when, like, the first teaser trailer came out and people were like, oh, God, she's just singing I Dream to Dream so weakly, you have to belt it. And I'm like, no, 
you have to belt it when you're trying to fill an entire theater. But when you have a camera six inches from your nose... And you're dying of whatever she was dying of. (laughs) Unnamed respiratory ailment. (laughs) Probably tuberculosis. With some small pot or some uh, pox on the side. You know, whatever. Um, And a broken heart. She's dying of a broken heart. <laughs> yeah, she's went. There's no one even comes. You can really pull it back and put a lot more nuance into it. And she did that song in one take, and it was amazing. And I thought, looking at her, like in the red carpet interviews, and when they were, you know, going through the nominee names at the Golden Globes, she was very clearly going. Everyone says this is a done deal, but you know, it's not a done deal. Be cool. Whatever happens, be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough thing for her as well because everyone knows it's a done deal, and when they keep asking her about it, she's not going to come out and say, "Yep, I'm winning this thing. Move out the way, Sally Field." So, <laughs> yeah. I, I have a lot of respect for her. people who are saying, "Oh, she's so desperate for the award." And it's like, "Yeah, of course she is. Every actress is desperate." Remember when Kate Winslet got the nomination for the Reader? Yeah, she practically shook the hand of every single member of the Academy to get that award. It wasn't a bad thing. That's how you play the game. Exactly. The thing... When Kate Winslet actually won the Golden Globes, she got two of them in a night and she's like this doesn't happen to me i get I, i'm the girl who gets nominated a whole bunch of times but never actually wins it so i don't actually know what to do she's also a little drunk you were gonna say something clear the other thing <laughs> um looking at that list actually Anne hathaway is the only person who has not won already in that category and she's been nominated before, which kind of gives her the credibility of, okay, this isn't just a one-time fly-by-night, you know, performance. I think that works in her favor as well. Mm-hmm. Because they do tend to look at a category, and if it's kind of between two really strong performances, they go, who doesn't have one yet? Mm-hmm. They do kind of do that. And as you said, if they compare to Catwoman earlier in the same year, <laughs> for the right. <laughs> That'll work in her favor. I'm not sure. I thought she was an excellent. Scene. I thought she was excellent. Oh, I mean, she was, yeah. But since you know, didn't Dark Knight Rises come out with zero, zero, zero. nominations? Yeah. Put this in contrast. Snow White and the Huntsman got two. Hey, not 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 true. The SAGs are nominating it for outstanding performance by stunt ensemble in a motion picture. Oh, well, okay. we yeah. Those stunt ensembles represent. All right. Well, contrast just with the Oscar nominations for supporting actress, they've got um, Jackie Weaver in there for Silver Linings Playbook, and I think she basically got in there because it's like, let's nominate everything Silver Linings Playbook, because all four categories for acting have someone from that movie in it. It's got mm-hmm. director, it's got picture, I mean, there's a lot of love for that movie, and I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to see it, but just from, I, I'm a little, I don't know. I need to see things. I, I can, don't you feel like okay? I haven't seen it either. But from the previews, doesn't it look like the movie where the Academy goes? Look at our range of appreciation. We can put what looks like the romantic comedy in here, even yeah, though it is, yeah. you know, like see, we appreciate other movies. Quick, we need oh, to Academy. find a quirky indie comedy this year. Which one is our Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah, right. Which, fortunately, like that movie, it seems to be a fairly strong movie. It's not the weak make-weight movie where you kind of go, how'd this one get in here? I guess we mm-hmm. have to, okay. So, I mean, it, it is an unusually strong year and even the ones you can't quite understand how they got in there, they're still pretty deserving. I mean, 
you know, it's it's a very st- and people kept saying, oh my god, how did so and so and so and so and so not get? How did John Hawks not get an Oscar nomination? I'm like, or how did Ben Affleck not get you know a Best Director nomination? Looking at that list, who would you boot out? I mean, it's so strong. You, it's just there's not enough room. Mm-hmm. And there's also the fact that I think that Ben Affleck is going to win so many of the awards leading up to the Oscars anyway. I mean, he won the Golden Globe, which for a lot of people was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly think Argo was a chance of getting a picture. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there was an article that was posted by Ebert in the past couple of days talking about the possibility of a write-in campaign for Affleck. And the last time someone won an Academy Award with a, a write-in vote was in the 30s. And then they yeah. changed the rules, so you can't do that anymore. But there's rumblings in the <laughs> underground of trying to get them to change the rule again. Restlessness on the street. Right, in camp. He may still he's running for Senate, although they did ask him to do that, so... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, he's going to win an Oscar at some point in his career. I do think that. And he already has one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, he has one, yeah. I don't think he's too bad. He's married but... to Jennifer Garner. He's a millionaire and he made Argo. I don't think he's cares. <laughs> well, well I mean, it's nice to get get recognition from your peers as being a serious, a serious director. I think... It's nice to wipe Geely and Jersey Girl yeah. from the memories of the world. I think that's it. I think that after winning that Oscar, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, like their careers didn't go, especially Ben Affleck's, quite the way like Oscar winners, I guess, expect their careers to go. Right. Well, Ben thought he was going to be like big action star, and that sort of petered out. And I mean, I he's he's kind of found his place in the world. Like I thought. The town was fucking brilliant, and I have watched that movie more times than I care to admit. <laughs> and not just because of Jeremy Renner, but a little bit because of <laughs> I think that Ben Affleck is going the Clint Eastwood route of career mm-hmm. trajectory. Yeah. I mean, people forget Clint Eastwood did a movie with an orangutan before he went on hey, to make, you know, Unforgiven no, and Million Dollar Baby. Paint your wagon. Paint your wagon. <laughs> I can't believe that's a real movie. It took me so long to realize that wasn't just a Simpsons joke. My dad loved that movie, Paint Your Wagon. I have, I have witnessed it. It's real. <laughs> Is Lee Marvin actually sing like that? Yes. <laughs> that is, I, I have to watch this. I'm looking this up later. Oh my god, picking a, a pull quote for the title of this episode is going to be so hard. <laughs> so which which do we think is going to take Let's let's put let's put a prediction on the table. What do we think best picture out of the what the nine? Jesus. Well, I think it's between Argo and Lincoln. How is this different? Because I think it is different from outstanding performance by an entire cast for the SAGs. Because it's a different consideration. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, outstanding performance. Uh, I don't know. This is hard. Because you're taking out any kind of visual component. Mm-hmm. I mean, acting has a lot to do with the writing, but and you're pacing, stripping away. Right, yeah. like pacing and editing, you're stripping that away. And you're just, I guess... I think Les Mis might take the cast at the same I, I, Yeah, I, it's kind of I a most cast say, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A most it really cast depends on the live thing, which, yes, Russell Crowe admits that actually did not do him any favors, but that's what Hooper wanted to do, so that's what he did. Um, 
this is like that time they were like, we want Jared Butler to be the Phantom because we want a rock voice <laughs> that's not actually that good. Yeah. We want a good looking. I was like, okay. On behalf of Scotland, I really do apologize for Jared Butler and Phantom. <gasps> Made that. He call. has been in one good film, okay? We honestly, honestly, he has at some point in his career. He was but, in um, 300. On, you know, on the ensemble kind of thing. Um, I think it's easier for SAG to separate film from cast, which is why the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel is nominated. Yeah. I mean, it's just got a cast of, you know, incredibly worthy British actors with dames and sirs, and of course you want to nominate them. Mm-hmm. But um, for here, I would, uh, I think Argo, because I think the support for Ben Affleck and his team is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it really depends how close the voting has been from the Oscar nominations being announced and such, because I can see them thinking, well, he didn't get a director nomination, I think he could get this. Yeah. And, and they're both the biggest the, casts. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the cast for, like, the problems I had with Lincoln were not in the acting, although I couldn't figure out if I didn't like Mary Todd Lincoln because I didn't like the character or because Sally Field has gotten to the point where she annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> I don't know. But everyone else was fantastic. And I haven't seen Silver Lines Playbook, so I can't comment. And I think when you have, like, the largest cast... It might give you a leg up because in some ways they're rewarding the most people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when you have two really deserving ensembles and they're both really big, so I guess they both stand a chance, mm-hmm. a good chance over over anything else. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I give up on Best Picture, though. I just... Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Argo? I don't know. Should right. we read out the nominees for the Oscar for Best Picture? Yeah. Cleo. Cleo hasn't done one yet. Okay. Are <laughs> oh, you doing Cleo? I'm, I'm actually reading off the oscar.go.com page itself. We have uh, Amour, we have Argo, we have Beast of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. A to Z. <laughs> there you go. Question, nominees to be determined, does that usually mean a lawsuit? I don't know. It's like when they have more than three producers and they have to figure out who did the most producing. But for Les Mis, um, Wiki, Wikipedia lists four people right now. So hmm. does the Oscar webpage. Yeah, they do. Maybe they... Hmm. I, I remember it used to be a rule of three. Maybe they've started to arbitrate exceptions. I don't Anywhere know. Anywhere between five and ten. <laughs> <laughs> I think this happened either last year or the year before where some, one movie was nominees to be determined and I remember trying to figure out what you know <laughs> the hijinks were behind mm-hmm. the scenes like somebody produced it it exists right. how do they know, know, not know who produced it now I'm curious as to who that was because I, I remember there being a movie where they were like it sprang from the forehead of Zeus. We don't know <laughs> how we got here. It just showed up on the doorstep one day. I don't know. Yeah, it was recently because I remember looking into it somewhere. But not, we're not going to remember now. But yeah. Aww. I think this is actually an interesting year because there's no sort of out there sentimental, awful choice. Like, you know, yeah. extremely loud and incredibly close are the blind oh. side. This is a solid group here. And there's still about three or four other movies you could easily substitute in there. And it would still be a great bunch. Mm-hmm. It really, I was so relieved this year that we didn't have the annual conversation about the decline of cinema and why everything sucks always. I was just <laughs> so relieved to not <laughs> even have that this year. I'm relieved we're not having the 
the every four years conversation of this movie is going to revolutionize the movie musical. Like we had it with Chicago. We had it with Moulin Rouge. We had it with Phantom. We had it with Rent. And like, no, the movie musical is back, people. It's just <laughs> Wait, we had that conversation with Rent? Did we watch the same <laughs> We <Rent>? did. <laughs> we did. Before oh, it came sure. out, we did. Yeah, you know, before. No, before that explains <laughs> And this is going to it's going to revitalize the movie musical. It's like no, it's revitalized. We get one every year or two. Do we think the fact that Catherine Bigelow is not in Best Director is a snub? If it was any other year, I would probably say yes. But given just how strong the category was, I'm going to say no. See, I think it is, but with legitimate excuse kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like this year, they they can safely snub her without it looking like the snubbed her because the category is so. And she did win. She did win two years right. ago. It's, I they mean, gave a woman an award already. Shut up about it. Exactly. <laughs> You want to say that, but at the same time, it's like, dude, they also snubbed Ben Affleck. It was a rough year. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, the, the, two, the two sort of, you know, war-based thrillers about you know, American exploits overseas didn't get the director nominees, which I think is it's probably a coincidence, but it's a very interesting coincidence. Right. It, they it also is. snubbed Tarantino, so... True. <laughs> I don't know if that was necessarily a snub as so much as a not touching that with a ton of football. <clears throat> to be fair, he's got a screenplay nod, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if he was going to win anything, it'd be for screenplay, and I yet... imagine. But maybe not this year. Then again, he won the Globe, and he was drunk, so. And he started <sighs> oh. throwing the N-word around, and it was like, oh my god, please so stop. So, oh. yeah. Best adapted screenplay is where I legitimately thought Cloud Atlas might get in. And then it didn't. And now I don't even care because I thought Looper might get in for script somewhere. People yeah. had predicted it might. I I saw it like right before the the nominations came out, and I was like, I I really was shocked it didn't get that. Mm-hmm. I'm apparently naive. I, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I think the Beasts of the Southern Wild getting the level of support it did is something of a surprise because it was completely snubbed at the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has anything it in the SAGs either. This is eligible for the Golden Globes. Is it not eligible? Yeah. Right. I don't I don't know I I don't know what that means. I just heard people saying that the reason it's not here is because it wasn't eligible for whatever. Well, it's like the epitome of the the tiny little Sundance indie movie. I am really amazed that it <laughs> and I'm I'm glad, but they really went like, I mean, between that and more, I'm really surprised how non-big studio they kind of went this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, I, it, it's it's surprisingly laudable. Like, I'm, I'm not used to them actually making fairly good choices. Like, even when people get quote-unquote snubbed, you go again, well, who would you knock out of that category? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, who would you knock out of? best actor to put John Hawks in. I, I don't know. Right. Actually, I, I honestly I thought know. that it was going to be Hawks over Phoenix just because I didn't think that they were going to give it to Phoenix for A, the whole rap parody thing that he did. Yeah. I think they were sort of thinking, well, you tried to screw your own career up. Why should we give you it? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad he has a career. I really am. <laughs> you know what actually surprised me was Flight. Anything about flight? Because I mean, Denzel Washington is a great actor, but from the reviews I read, the script was kind of weak. 
kind of obvious, kind of heavy-handed. I think I we're really just Robert Zemeckis. You, we're glad to see Robert Zemeckis back making films and not, you know, it, let's animate evil. over everybody. And yet Flight got the original screenplay nod. I know. That was what really... Because, I mean, Denzel Washington's so great. Sometimes people... It, it's a Meryl Streep thing. She's so great. They kind of go on autopilot mm-hmm. sometimes. And you see... Or Robert De Niro. They're so great. They kind of just show up over and over again, and you're like, eh, maybe we we could have knocked you out for somebody else. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I do this... feel that the Robert De Niro one is also, can you stop making Fockers movies and do something good and actually act again? Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a sense of relief that he's actually done a movie where he's not just embarrassing himself, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also because there's just so much sort of drive behind that movie. But I'm very surprised that Flight got in for screenplay above The Master. I thought mm-hmm. if it was going to get in for something other than acting, it would have been screenplay. Yeah, I mean, that that just really kind of... Who who produced that? Is is there some story there? Like, who produced Flight or The Master? Flight, Flight. So Flight. Zemeckis. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the names I don't recognize. Let's see. Is there a studio that put that? I, I'm Parks not... and McDonald Production Image Movies? Like, these are not... Harvey Weinstein did not kill anybody for this movie, so I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> I love Jennifer Lawrence saying that. Sometimes yeah. it's funnier when she says it than when Seth MacFarlane says it. Yeah. Yes. It's like, you know, also it was more who did he kill rather than who did he sleep with, which is a little too close to the truth, probably. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's have some real talk here. Let's, you know. Uh, it's going to be so Bad, the host and poor. Wow, Flight did really well in terms of box office. That surprises also, me. I guess that's your... That's our answer. That's their answer. Yeah. Yeah. Canada's in best foreign language. Woo! Yay. Here's that question: If a Canadian film is in English, it doesn't qualify for best foreign language, does it? Mm. Or like British no. films? Do they? So no. we but... had a film a few years back that got nominated. It was entirely in Welsh. Yeah. It does actually. It, it can be partly in English, but it has to be. I think over fifty percent. Doesn't it or something. seem weird? Like I know it used to be best foreign picture. Now it's foreign language. But doesn't it seem weird to create a category for foreign pictures, but that excludes? any picture that's foreign that might happen to be in English because that country also speaks English. That's what they've specifically done is to exclude English speaking. I, I think that's why they've done that. They've thrown that word in. I think so. Why? If you technically think about it, The Artist was a foreign movie. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Not... I think The Artist was the one where nominees to be determined, by the way, was the, might mm. have been the artist. And then that it was won. kind of what I was thinking, yeah. Actually, I keep wanting to see a royal affair because I really like Mads Mikkelsen, so... <gasps> Sorry, side note, because I have to talk about it with Cleo. He is going to be an amazing Hannibal Lecter. I know, right? Like, I thought that was the worst idea ever until they, they cast him. And I was like, what is going on? I don't know how to handle this. I know, I came out, I started out with do not want, and the more they kept announcing the cast, I was just like, want, want, want. Want in spite of self. <laughs> Y'all don't understand. Like, Silence of the Lambs is legit my favorite movie. Like, number one... I, it took me a while to admit this because I didn't want people to think I was really <laughs> disturbed or something. It, it was a Jodie Foster thing. Like Clarice was Clarice and Scully were like my role models as a teenager. Okay, this was like deeply important to me, and so that is like legit my favorite movie. And I was like, oh god, they are going. NBC is going to get some terrible, like third-rate Anthony Hopkins imposter impersonator lookalike it's gonna oh my god it's gonna be so terrible but this is the kind of show that's willing to put in Lawrence Fishburne as 
Crawford instead of a Scott Glenn lookalike. Like they're willing to go for what would be interesting instead of let's try to recreate this movie series. And that's probably for the best because it kind of went downhill. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't talk of the Hannibal book. <laughs> we don't talk of anything. No, Whatever happened to Lawrence Fishburne? Where did he go? Did he do CSI? He was on CSI. For oh, that's while. right, CSI. After everybody stopped watching it, only signers. Yeah. But who did they just add to the Hannibal cast? Like it was going to be a. Oh, I think I think actual Gillian Anderson's going to be on it. She is. It's <laughs> actually going to be Gillian like, Anderson. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know because like Scully was actually based on Clarice. Like that was the actual inspiration for that character, and I was just like, oh my god, it's like the circle of life. I don't know how to handle this. I'm so excited as well because the show is the the head of the show is Brian Fuller who did Pushing Daisies, Dead Like Me, um, and he's just someone who's kind of a bit of a left field choice for a show like this, which is why I sort of got hopeful for it. And then they started announcing the cast, and I got really excited. And I want him to have a TV show that lasts longer than a season. I keep so. thinking Lee Pace is going to show up somewhere. Well, probably. <laughs> well, just to read some of the cast choices is you know. They've got um, Gina Torres, they've got Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall, they've got Lawrence Fishburne, Gillian Anderson, Eddie Izzard, Raul Esparza, Hugh Dancy. This is going to be the best TV show ever. And Ellen Green from Pushing Daisies. And I think Anna David Kumsky Slade. from My Girl. This is just... David Slade's doing the pilot. He was uh, posting pictures. I started following David Slade on Twitter because he cracks me up. The way he's just so above Twilight and then did Eclipse <laughs> anyway and just... <laughs> I think he's back to being, I'm, I was so above that, by the way, just, you know, yes, <laughs> I am still above it. We don't speak of it now. And so, but he puts really interesting pictures up on like Instagram or whatever of like the set or there's Hugh Dancy in a corn, a wheat field or something. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, sure. So they, they splashed out on like a legit movie director to start this off. And they, although I, I will admit, I sat there going, why now? Why? Yeah, this was my thought as well. Because at the same time they announced this, um, Lifetime said they were going to be doing a Clarice. You know why? Why? uh, American Horror Story, that's why. Uh, Mm. Yeah, but at the same time, just like the way the vampire became the big thing. So now there's like two or three different Dracula series that are in development. There's Frankenstein series, like fairy tales. You you kind of see this progression of trends. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like, we're bringing Hannibal Lecter back. Uh, Why? It's because after American horror story got like all the acclaim, they tried this. They tried to bring into prime time with uh, park Avenue, six, 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 six park Avenue. Which I watch for I watch the pilot, which is like the horror movie but sterilized for the eight PM time slot. So I think they're doing the same with Hannibal. It's like, okay, but let's try to go back to the more like acclaimed and darker and to you the know, part where everyone actually liked it. Yeah. And not <sighs> Because I believe American yeah. Horror Story <laughs> Asylum, the second season, is also doing quite well. Yeah, it's it's doing pretty well and they're getting away with stuff on TV. I didn't know they could get away with. Isn't but... that on <laughs> FX though? I mean, that's a little different yeah. than putting it on yeah. NBC. They they are. Yeah. The thing about um the Hannibal Lecter character is that especially when you use it sparingly because it does seem it when you use the character sparingly, it does seem to be more about um what's his face? The Hugh Dancy character, Will Graham. Will Graham. Mm-hmm. 
you you can use him more sparingly as a supporting actor, which is really it's it's like Jack Sparrow. You have to use the big flamboyant characters kind of sparingly, and you can also get away with a lot more psychological horror because that really is what Silence of the Lambs is, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the later, uh, we don't speak of Hannibal. Killer pigs. Yeah, killer pigs of death, and uh, (laughs) we don't even speak of the end. That's the only movie I've ever been in where somebody walked out. That's the only, only movie. But the the Ray Liotta, oh, Jesus. So, (laughs) and that's tame compared to what happens in the book. I'm not over the book. Good Christ. It just, oh, good God. So, um... I mean, they, they gradually got gorier and gorier for kind of like the shock value, but the first one really is more of a procedural and a psychological horror, mm-hmm. and that works really well on TV. So I, I can kind of see what, where they're going with that. Um, I started off in a completely different direction. I was thinking <laughs> about something completely different. But no, but it was like they started reviving all of these characters, like, oh, Sherlock, all over the place, you know, Dracula, all over the place. And I was like, I, instead of looking at it as a horror trend, and I think you guys are right about that, I was looking at it as, let's go find a, a character re- to revive. And I was like, why now? I, I keep wondering if Thomas Harris is like cooking up some book. <laughs> That he's going to loose mm. onto the populace. <laughs> I'm so over him. I'm so over. Mm-hmm. I'm so I've been not, over Just because him. I'm like, not over what he did to Clarice. Because she I'm was not. one of my heroes growing up as I'm well. No. And it was just like watching someone take a dump over all of your hopes and, you know, aspirations I, of childhood. I remember exactly, like, what bus stop I was sitting on a bunch bench waiting for a bus when I got to that part. And I was like... What? I Where don't... were you when Thomas Harris fucked over Clarice? We all remember. <laughs> the sad thing is, I do remember. <laughs> I, I remember too. I was sitting in front of a box fan on my bed, going. I was home from college, and I was like, "The fuck is this?" I just, I, I'm convinced. It's like I, he had a really good understanding of that character, and why I, I think he did, and so he chose. <laughs> to nuke that character and i think it was a fuck you to the shippers honestly he was like oh that's what you want oh okay let me show you how that actually work out and i was like i hate you mm, <laughs> why can't we have nice things thomas harris like really because of shippers. It's a shame <laughs> because the entire bit in florence in the book is actually very good and it's actually pretty good in the movie as well yeah that worked out just fine and you know i honestly i i wonder if jodie foster would have been in it with the ending the movie currently has, I don't know if she passed on it with the book ending or after they changed it. Cause I think she could have made, I don't know. I don't think she would have put up with the brain stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I've always wanted the end of that movie to be Jodie Foster waking up next to her, you know, roommate Ardelia and being like, Oh my God, I just had the weirdest dream. <laughs> I was and more. And then, and then there was like this carousel, and then, what? What does that even mean? Like, that's what I wanted so bad. It's the only way I could have underst- I could have explained it. Like, poor Julianne Moore, I love her, but there was exactly one line in the entire movie where she actually sounded like Jodie Foster. Like one, <laughs> one line. I could even tell you where it is, and it's just the rest of the movie. It was just, it's the same problem I had with um, the Batman series when they had when they recast. Katie Holmes, which mm-hmm. I like Maggie Gyllenhaal. I wish they'd had her the whole time. Mm-hmm. But when you kill off that character, it just doesn't have the resonance because you're not looking at the same person. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I, I, there was another movie that did that. And I was like, I guess I care. I don't know. I mean, sure. Oh, uh, well, the Iron Man movies did that because they they upgraded to Don Cheadle. And again, I wish Don Cheadle had been in the first one. But, I was, yeah. but you still kind of went, oh, I guess it's this. Okay. You know how when soap operas would do that? It was like, <laughs> starting this episode, the role of X would be played by Y. I saw that on Passions once. I had never actually seen that happen before where they were like... I saw that in Santa Barbara because they changed one character's actress uh, like four times and Robin Wright was one of them. <laughs> was one of them. Yeah. Yes, Robin Wright used to be on a soap opera. So do many other people. Yeah. Like her, I think actually was. Did she play twins or something? Or Eva? She did something. Oh, let's see. I have her IMDb page open. I don't know if I can notice it right away. Well, look at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking for. But I've seen Benny in June, and I'm like, that's not the bad thing. That's not it. This, this, totally, this is a totally legitimate tangent, you guys, because as we all know, Silence of the Lambs won the Big Five that year. It is totally an Oscar-related. Absolutely. Yes, this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. I support your version of events. <laughs> I accept your reality, and I do not substitute anything else. <laughs> what did we tangent? We tangented off the Oscars' best either writing or foreign language or one of those. Yes. Any predictions for animated? Is it Brave it's or Wreck Ralph? It's brave. Things brave. I don't think it's necessarily going to be Brave. Um, I, but it really depends. I mean, they do have a, a Pixar bias, but they don't. It's not always Pixar for them. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just decide on the Brave issue? I think, well, if you don't know it by now, Brave won the Golden Globe for Best Animated Picture. Mark Andrews went up to pick the award up. Brenda Chapman, who originally directed the movie on her own, had it taken off of her and was given co-director credit, was not allowed to do it. And they she told not her to not to get up. They said, if if it wins, you do not get up on stage. What is even... What's going on there? Like, I don't know. How does that even... Yeah, she I don't understand what's going on there, but she's credited on the, on the Oscar website. It's, it's Mark Andrews and Brenda Chapman. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if that wins, if she's allowed that there. Oh, uh, she's basically banned from talking about what happened as well if, if, in order for her to retain oh, her co-director sucks. credit. It's an entire jerk store, my yeah. God. Yeah. I keep trying to see Paranorman slipping in because people seem to like that. Mm-hmm. I don't there's know always about... the pe- there's, the, there's the Ardman love as well, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't know about Wreck-It Ralph. People seem to like it, but... If yeah. I was... To guess, I would guess Frank and Weenie because they're going to give an award to Tim Burton at some point, and they might as well give it yeah. to him for not screwing up his career entirely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, we'll forget about Dark Shadows because Frank and Weenie's pretty good. Oh dear <laughs> Jesus, Dark Shadows! Oh my God, it's <laughs> awful. I want to see it for Eva Green. Like, if I could just get it on, borrow a DVD, and like skip through things. That but the thing is, her. there's so many actors in there. Like, like from Helen Bonham Carter to Johnny Lee Miller. No, the girl. Oh God, kill me now. I know her name. Chloe Moretz. Yes, I love thank her. You. I love her. That's the thing. The cast is is really great. They just have nothing to do. <laughs> and then it's also weirdly sexist. Like pretty much every time something bad happens in a movie, it's either caused by a woman or a woman will end up suffering for it. Oh, so Alan Sorkin wrote it. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. Burn. Basically, Tim Burton's gone from having daddy issues to woman issues. I think Helena should be a little worried. Yeah, I, the explanation I heard for why the movie didn't work, and I wish I could remember who, who said this, it was really interesting. It's both, like, 
it's like this layer of double irony where it's like, are we laughing at Barnabas for waking up in the 70s? Or are we laughing at the people living in the 70s because they're so not like, my, you know, like, who are we laughing at exactly? <laughs> and it's just this double layer of irony and it distances you so much that, like, there's nobody in the movie you identify with because you're supposed to laugh at both sets of people for being, oh, so old fashioned. Just yeah, so it different. sounds kind of like the Big Bang Theory. it's actually the problem with dark shadows and it's also this habit of going oh look it's the 70s look we've got lava lamps and we've got flares and it's the 70s guys remember those times it's like i wasn't alive for that and i don't want to be alive for it now (laughs) stop it cleo i got a question for you best costume design I knew this was going to be a rough year for that. Yeah. Oh man, because we had we had so much. My oh oh, this is a tough one. Okay, right. Sometimes this is most costume. Normally, I would go with Anna Karenina because that is very much mm-hmm. there. It's both kind of fashionable, but very flashy, but very well researched at the same time. However. God bless Aiko Ishioka. She passed away last year. And this was her last film. And she won back like 21, 20 years ago, because I am so old, for Bram Stoker's Dracula. And she is this amazing Japanese designer. She's done a lot of stage work. I believe she did... Uh, a production of Monsieur Butterfly. I believe um, she did The Cell. She did The, the fall. fall. Yeah. So she has these beautiful, like, landscape costumes almost. And mm-hmm. as unwatched... You know, people told me... There were some people who told me they liked Mirror Mirror. I don't know. I just saw that whole thing and went... Eh. I didn't mind it. I well, actually thought it was quite cute. Both the Snow White movies are nominated for costume, I'd like to point out. I love Colleen right. Atwood, but the Aiko Ishioka costumes are just, even not wanting to see the movie, I thought they were amazing. They are but absolutely gorgeous. Anna Karenina is their normal kind of thing, but again, a posthumous, you, you see that, I, I don't know, it's a tough ass here. I don't. There were even people, and I can't remember... I kept thinking there were even more movies that would have been nominated, and I can't even think now what I thought they were going to be. I mean, it was just every movie that came out this year that I, I was like, oh man, that could get in, that mm-hmm. could get in, that. Could, I mean, it was it was rough. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. so rough. Um, you know you what, who else said um, Ishioka designed costumes for? She did the costumes for Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> she oh, <God>. did. <laughs> Hopefully, she no did. one knows that. <laughs> I'm gonna ask. Oh no! Is it the curse? Oh god! Oh, yeah. gonna... I, mean, I will put oh, in the god. show notes the video for a freak like me needs company, where they introduce all of the baddies, and then the, like reptile from the Rugrats bursts out of a guy's chest, and then there's a guy with bees, and just if you haven't seen it, it is, it's a, it's majestic. It's one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> I'm gonna. I want ask... to see that you... seventy-five million I have dollar a freak show. Leo. Okay. Um, Leo, did you ever get an answer on why? Nigella Dixon didn't do the costumes from The Hobbit? I, what somebody, now that I think about it, somebody told me that she turned it down for 
scheduling conflicts. And so I went and looked at what she had, what Nyla Dixon had been doing. And I was like, oh, so Green Lantern. Green Lantern is why we can't have nice things. Got it. Okay, hope it was worth it. I mean, God bless. I, I, that, that sounds really bitter. I, I love well, Yes. <laughs> I, I could see somebody being like, how many of these movies are you doing? Like, like you want me to give up my life again to go? Now, where is she from, though? I mean, if she's, is she Australian or New I thought she was a Kiwi. Uh, New Zealander. Yeah, she is a New Zealander. So I thought, I thought, yeah. So, okay, that wouldn't be her giving up her life to go halfway across the world. Okay. But I could see somebody being like, I, I've been there, you know? God bless, but I don't need to live in a hobbit hole the way you do, Peter Jackson. I understand this, but... She don't worry, a princess. She did those costumes, apparently. I have to move on with my life. I, I could see somebody saying that, but the explanation I was given was, mm. based on somebody I think found this in an article, was, it's not insider information, was that she had scheduling conflicts. And sometimes you do get locked into things... They thought Green Lantern was going to become a franchise. They thought it was going to be a big thing. They had mm. a lot of characters to dress, you know, with outlandish costumes. She just good... forgot to make a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was unfortunate. That, you know, I, I, I keep saying, I had people tell me. I, I just watch Twitter mentions, and anytime I bring something up, inevitably somebody goes, I liked that. So you kind of see how many people disagree with you to kind of get the pulse where you go, oh, wait, people actually did kind of like that. Green Lantern kind of seemed to have a, a, a place that you're not unlike John Carter, where it was not as bad as everyone said, but it really didn't take off. Like they thought it would. Green Lantern actually had a similar problem to I think uh, the spy this year's Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, in that they had a better movie before they cut things out of it, and then you yeah. went what? Like with the somebody tried to piece together what the original Spider-Man movie looked like, and when you read that argument, you're like, why didn't you just show that movie? Mm-hmm. You filmed it. Why didn't you show that. it? You know. And I was just like, why did? Apparently, they just didn't trust Mark Webb, Mark Webb, and. I was like, why'd you give it to him if you didn't think he could do it? And then you took, oh, my God. I hate it. I'm still so bitter over what they did to the Golden Compass because I love Chris oh. White. Yeah. And he admitted a couple of years later that they took it away from him and they butchered mm-hmm. it. And he had no control over it. And it broke his heart oh. because he's so invested. I don't understand him. why they that movie was never going to – that movie stance on religion and church was always going to scare people. That books, I'm sorry, the book stances. So beyond the first book, they were never going to touch it. Like, they were never going to do it. Why did they even touch it? Like, yeah, you know? why did they do it? Why did they bother doing it if they didn't want to do it? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it was them trying to capitalize on the Harry Potter mm-hmm. children oh, yeah. kind of thing at that point. Yeah. I mean, the Golden Compass was always on the, the methadone list for Harry Potter. Yeah, I have <laughs> I have actually pieced together the ending of the Golden Compass that they cut out by finding like all the little clips and pictures and trailer screen caps. I've actually pieced it together and they do have the original ending of the book with the cliffhanger and the mm-hmm. opening. And the, I mean, they have it. I have reconstructed the best I could and <laughs> it happened and we didn't get it. And I hate everybody. So <laughs> that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to ask best original score just because I want to say Anna Karenina in Russian just once this podcast <laughs> the, the score for Anna Karenina 
Don't try. Don't try. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to be an ugly American. I'm sorry. Um, okay. The score was fantastic. I loved it. I love Daria Marianelli, so yeah. Yeah. And he did Pride and Prejudice um, for yeah. Keira Knightley, right? Like Keira Knightley's Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. yeah. He's he done got, all of Joel Wright's movies, yeah. Oh. And mm-hmm. he did Jane Eyre. I mean, I always, because I, I was watching Jane Eyre and I was like, why does this sound so much like Pride and Prejudice? Yeah. I mean, John Williams is there because it's John Williams is John Williams. I thought the score for Lincoln sounded like a John Williams serious business score. Yeah. I love Because it's like he he blew his serious business score wad on Schindler's list and now all of his serious business stuff sounds pretty much the same. Yeah. I I love Alexander Desplat though. I really I like what he's you know, his general style, but I think it was Michael Dana who won at the Golden Globes. That's yeah. he did, yeah. Mm. Yeah. The one who wasn't a quote-unquote name. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed that the score for Looper wasn't nominated just because of how they did that score. Not necessarily with musical instruments, but like he went out and recorded sounds huh. and put it together. There's an excellent article on Slate with a video where it explains how the composer, whose name I didn't even catch, did it like the actor who who played the um jeff jeff daniels jeff daniels Mm -hmm. jeff daniels not his his underdog dude blue came in with his prop gun and they just recorded him playing with the gun and loading it and unloading it and then they put that in and wove together this music from found sounds which was amazing And it would have been nice to see some recognition for that. My favorite score this year was honestly the the Hunger Games. Hmm. I thought that was great. um, Did T Bone Burnett work on that? Apart from having the best name ever, I think so. I liked the Civil War song that did not have Taylor Swift. Not because I hate Taylor Swift, I just really liked that song better. Mm -hmm. And although I looking at original song now. Mm-hmm. I don't think Taylor Swift's song is on there. I think the That's Ted not. song, the Ted song, is on there instead. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift hates teddy bears. <laughs> Taylor Swift, throw your shade at Seth MacFarlane now. That'll be fun. But Skyfall is gonna win, right? I, it better not be suddenly from Les Mis because I'm very angry about that song. It's so dull. It's stupid and pointless and they cut things out to make room for that awful song. And I... I, I admit that I was drinking while watching the Golden Globes in solidarity. And when they announced the nominees for Best Song, I tweeted... Suddenly better not win, or I shall tweet very angrily. And then it didn't, and I said, yes! My thread of an angry tweet clearly worked. I was live blogging on a card table, and I was like, I will flip this shit. I will pick up my computer so it doesn't get hurt. And then flip I'm angry, but I'm not crazy. (laughs) Hobbit actually has a few... A few production ones, like the well, the best production, best makeup and hairstyling for the dwarves and beards, I guess. 
That is some kind of year when you have a Peter Jackson Tolkien movie and it's like, eh, tech. Like, I didn't expect to see this day when it was not like best picture nom. I mean, they didn't, they weren't very friendly with the acting nominations for the first trilogy, but I was like, wow, they barely included that. Oh, even Prometheus is in for best visual effects. Yeah. Yeah, they are, because that's what it had going for it. <laughs> it. It takes a lot of time and effort to put Michael Fassbender's head in a bag. You know, it kind of does. I actually saw some of the behind-the-scenes things. They actually had an animatronic head. It wasn't so screen. It was so creepy. I was, somebody was like, in the comments, I think it was io9, they were like... And he sees that in his nightmares now. You know, like, it was so freaking. We I will thought- say it's a best performance by a head since Terminator 2. Yeah. Fair Fair I just love how understanding he is about it. <laughs> it's quite all right. <laughs> I want an action figure of Namira Pass with the bag, and you open up the bag, and it's a little head of Michael Fassbender. They're going to have it. They already have, like, the littlest David, and it comes with a spare head. <laughs> and they may come out with a littlest shawl I don't, if it sells well I don't know now Hot Toys has the license so we're going to have like freakishly kind of like lifelike but not lifelike David you know I really want them to make a Numi doll because I love her I don't I don't want a David doll in my room I can't handle that <laughs> that, that shit ain't right okay. he will watch your dreams while you sleep he and my, Edward, my Edward doll will like fight over, you know, gets to watch who and oh, Can you imagine doll. what Edward would pay for the ability to just plug in to Bella's dreams? Not, it's not even fair that you get this. Yeah. How how are you given this? This is not even fair. Can you tell me what she's doing? <laughs> you know, when I wrote the thing for Prometheus, I was very proud of myself. And this happened in the Avengers, too, where, um, you know, Agent Coulson was like, I used to watch you while you were frozen asleep, you cat. You know? and, and then you have uh, David sitting there just watching. I, I didn't make the Twilight joke on either of those. I want, I want props for that because I didn't go there on either of those, and I totally could have. Restraint. I was like, we're better than this. This is <laughs> all better than this now. I would like to point out, Cleo, that I promised that we weren't going to bring Twilight up in this podcast because oh, you were tired of talking about it, and you brought it up all on your own. <laughs> Take a drink, everyone. <laughs> it's a disease. <laughs> For my glaucoma. <laughs> the same rehab as Robert Pattinson. You can commiserate together. <laughs> you can commiserate. I just didn't. I was like, when when does suffering end? Is it like the day after the movie comes out? The day after the DVD comes out? Like, when did they set him free to, to run free again? Oh, the best quote when he said, what are you going to take from set? My dignity. <laughs> At least he still has that. I saw the 
gym set where he was like, you know, is it is it bittersweet to to be moving on from this? And he looks at the audience and he's like, for them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank goodness we have Jennifer Lawrence to talk now. Exactly. Oh, to say this. Can you imagine if they were on a movie together? Oh, God. Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, Santa, we have been so good. Santa, we've been so good. This has to happen now. Oh, man, I want this to happen so bad. It would be public relations carnage. Oh, my God, there would be aneurysms right and left. Oh, my God. Can you imagine, like, one of those movie phone unscripted 20-minute? Oh, God. Please make this happen. Can you make this happen? And then make Harvey Weinstein have to promote the movie? I think the publicist for the studio would just resign the day it's announced. Like, this Bye. is my two-week notice. Peace Bye. out. Whatever. You don't have enough money to pay me to do this job. You don't. It's a trillion-dollar coin. You don't have enough. <laughs> I broke my promise. <laughs> the promise I made to myself. <laughs> Which I think you actually broke back during the director talk. We just didn't mention. No. That's all right. Shaking my head. Shaking my head. SMH. You, 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 tr- you turn in your 60-day medallion. You start it from... Yeah, yeah, you turn over. <laughs> There's a chalkboard that says X number of days since mention of Twilight. And I just had to... <laughs> Today is the first day of the rest of your... Oh, don't even bother. <laughs> it's okay. I'm still drying out. You know, they don't even have the... De- I haven't finished Breaking Dawn in 15 minutes. You know, I'm still working on it. I can't be expected to go clean until I'm done with that. And when I'm done with that, I go into like Promises Malibu, Sparkle Town, <laughs> and detox. And how do you detox from that? What do you do? It's a 12 step program. You have to accept that you yeah, have You have to accept that you're powerless. You have, you to, have to apologize it. to everybody. <laughs> I read Twilight because you were talking about it but then the dracula tv show will come out and we'll just talk about better vampires okay you linked this is kind of uh completely off tangent but um cleo on twitter yesterday you linked to this nicole kidman mia wasikowska stoker <gasps> yeah. oh my I god that looks like the best movie ever and i assumed put it, it in my something. eyeballs my eyeball. put it in my eyeballs right now put it in my face Shut up and take my money. Oh my god, I want this movie. I don't know why. So I'm, I can't believe it's written by Wentworth Miller from Prison Break. I can't get over <gasps> really? that. Yeah, and it's directed by Park Chan-wook, Which, who's a Korean writer who did Old Boy. Yeah. The score is by Clint Mansell, who did The Fountains and uh, The Record for a Dream score. Um, this, I just, There's just something about this movie that Which? just everything seems to work, and I just really want it. I still have no idea. It's... Stoker because it's Bram Stoker? Like, is it actually no. going to have vampires? Or is it? No, it's like it's like some kind of somebody found the script online. Apparently, you can find it, and I don't I don't want to know. But they read it and they didn't go. Oh, I mean, apparently they said it was. You know, they wanted they still want to see the movie after knowing what happens. And like someone said, Nicole Kidman is playing that character she always plays. I'm like, but she does it well when she does it. Come on. But and I love you know Mia Wasikowska. I love her. Matthew Good hadn't been around for a while. I don't know where he went, but I just I just want to see them like act circles of psychological weirdness around each other. That's see, I I will bet you anything. If you've seen the trailer, I don't know if this is a, a spoiler. 
I will bet you anything at some point the director or Wentworth Miller says, this is shadow of a doubt if young Charlie joined up with her uncle instead of turning him in. The production um, section of the Wikipedia page has Hitchcock's shadow of a doubt also influenced the film, so you're correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that is my favorite mm-hmm. Hitchcock film. I mean, the Mackie Good character is named Uncle Charlie. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's right there, okay? So I... I, I love that kind of thing where you go, uh, like there's this great Louisa May Alcott book called um, Long Fatal Love Chase. And it is literally what happened if Jane Eyre never found out that Rochester was married until it was too late. And she wasn't crazy. She was to- The wife was totally fine and came back one day and she overhears the wife come back and is like, oh my God, what have I done? And runs the hell away. Like Bronte, Charlotte Bronte was one of, Louisa May Alcott's favorite writers. So, and she has a lot of weird little Jane Eyre kind of influences in her short Blood and Thunder stories. And so, you know, I I love that idea of let's take a story that you know pretty well and then go, but what if it had gone in the opposite direction? What if this premise had gone in the opposite direction? And so I think that's kind of what they're doing with Stoker. And I don't know why that's the name of the family except i have this terrible feeling it is totally for the stroker pun (laughs) (laughs) you guys really you did that really okay sure although i mean you know because of ram stoker that name is kind of imbued with a certain anticipation you know of dread i wonder if they're kind of like playing up because i mean when i first heard what it was going to be about you know you'll hear about this months and months on and sometimes they give away details that they don't realize are important. Like mm-hmm. when I saw the advertising for the, the James Franco Oz movie, I was like, oh, they don't seem to be telling you who the Wicked Witch is. But when I first heard about it, they totally said who it was. So I was like, oh, are we not supposed to know that? So they kind of suggested there was a vampire thing going on, but that may have been because they didn't know correctly what it was about. Because of the name. I don't know. Like, their description of the plot in a sentence changed several times. They weren't sure what it was about. So, I mean, looking at the trailer, though, it's it's pretty clearly a riff on Shadow of a Doubt. Which, again, my favorite Hitchcock. I'm excited. <laughs> but it, it, the trailer was in front of Beasts of the Southern Wild. I hadn't seen it yet. I was like, put it in my face. <laughs> Take my money and put it in my eyeballs. Like, right now. <laughs> It also has really gorgeous posters, which is just sort of silly, frivolous thing to like. But the posters are beautiful. I mean, they're putting effort into the promotion of this film in a really oh, enigmatic way. It's not silly at all. I don't. I think that a good poster is important. It it's a, and and now that we have you know the internet and they can put out as many alternate versions as they want to, they don't <laughs> have the cost of printing. Make sure people see them. It's, it's become a really kind of rediscovered art form, this movie poster graphic design thing. I've, I've loved the posters they came out with. But apparently it's going to premiere at, I guess, Sundance on tomorrow? I was about to say on Monday. Tomorrow, I think. So we're going to get some advance word pretty quickly. Right. I'm scared. I want it to be good. Mm. It's not good. I want it to be so bad it's good. Well, well the script was on the blacklist when it came out, which is the <gasps> ten best unproduced screenplays of the or you're sort of hanging Ooh, around the film blacklist. industry. So that's always a good sign. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> Mio Sikoska looks gorgeous on those posters. I have to say. I wonder if it's if it's going to be in theaters before TIFF. You see, like last year, oh, yeah, it's last year now. I didn't go to TIFF, even though a lot of the movies I wanted to see. I missed out on Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. I'm so anyway. When when is it? Because it's coming out March the first. I found this out last night. Um, when it when is TIFF? When is TIFF? Is in September, early September. The first, second week. So, if anything, next year, I'm like, you know what? If they, if there's anything I really want to see, I am not missing out again. I live in Toronto. This is one of my perks. Mm-hmm. I mean, really oh do my need god, to I just then. noticed um, the Glasgow Film Festival. We're getting Stoker and Much Ado About Nothing. I have to go to Glasgow. <laughs> you have to screw report up, back. Screw my yes, university. You do, yeah. Okay, this is totally... You know, maybe this connects to uh, So Bad It's Good. Hansel and Gretel. What do we think? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I think it's going Excuse to be... I want to see it. I think it's going to be terrible, and I do not care, because we all know that my love for Jeremy Renner is pure and true. <laughs> it's Especially be, when he's in title. tight pants. <laughs> it's going to be in Hansling Gretel Witch Hunters in 3D. Oh, God. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Cleo, didn't you say you were like, if they hadn't done... That thing at the end of Van Helsing, this would be the sequel. Was that you? Shaking my fist at the <laughs> Lion King heavens. Why did they do that? This is what the sequel would have been. I really like Gemma Arterton. I, I think too. she is beautiful. That's who I want to see. You can take Jeremy Renner. He's okay. I will take Jeremy Renner in all the way. It should be an endless supply of Jeremy Renner gifts, Don't if anything. <laughs> You don't need a second invitation. Yeah, I'm... Oh, man. I'm already behind on January movies. If I haven't gotten to see Mama this weekend, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I I want a movie. It looks like it knows how stupid it is. I love that. It knows. If you're stupid and you know it, that's fine. Exactly. Oh, man. I just... This is going to be... I don't want to say this is going to be such a good year for movies, because watch it not happen, but... (laughs) Oh, right, but I mean, even going into the late winter, we're, here's where we're going to throw all of the movies that no one really gives a shit about we're season. Still we're good. still doing okay. So I think a movie, a year of movies is kind of what you make of it. Because everybody, you know, speaking of Prometheus, all these people went in just determined that it was going to be the equal of Alien, and it was going to be a new classic. And when it wasn't exactly what they wanted, they could not cope with the fact that it was awesome in some really silly ways. They yeah. could not cope with this. And like, I was like, this movie is fantastic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love this movie. It is so wackadoo. Everyone is stupid. That is the best. Touching all the things. All the things. things. They're totally inviting us. This is the good ship nobody dies. I I, I love that gif I saw of, you know, from um, hyperbole and a half. All the things touch all the things. (laughs) (laughs) Some great. I can never figure out if it's gif or jif. I can't. I say gif. It looks like the word gift. But then everyone in my family says it GIF because we talk about these. I, I used to say GIF, but then somebody pointed out, well, it's graphic interface, right? So I, right. So I I want to say GIF, but I don't know. I'm getting trained by my family to say GIF. It's rough. Just know that I'm not mispronouncing it on purpose. I don't know. 
But no, they had some great gifts. Gifts. Great gifts that came out of Prometheus. That was great. And you know, how gifable is this movie? A lot. I'm okay with it. Come on now. It gave us joy. Does this movie give us joy? It is okay. It doesn't need to be the next classic. And so I think when people look out at these movies and they decide, you know, mm-hmm. I, I need to watch The Dark Knight Rises again. Maybe there's, maybe that is a movie that would give me joy now that I know that it's not Citizen Kane mm-hmm. in a bat mask. You know, yeah. like maybe now that I know this, because I, I mean, honestly, wh- what's the audio equivalent of, of gifts for like the Bane voice? The Bane voice is fantastic. Yeah. Once it grew on me, once I understood, I was like, man. Learned to love it. The Bat voice and the Bane voice going back and forth. Oh, I like, love Bane. Where is it? You know. <laughs> Gotham's right. Oh, God. Christopher You know. I, I think we find a lot of joy in that movie if we stop trying to look at it as, you know, it's. Maybe it's the return of the Jedi of the Batman trilogy, and that's okay. You know? It's okay. My favorite movie last year isn't even, like, on anybody's radar. It was Dread. I thought it was the best done. I keep hearing. I still haven't seen. Dread is actually, you know what? For what it was, that sci-fi action movie, I was basically perfect. Like, there was nothing about it I would have improved. Oh. It's like a best in show idea where mm-hmm. it's yes. for that breed of dog. Yeah. Does it have the perfection of that breed of dog? Yes, exactly. That was my exact metaphor. That was the exact analogy. <laughs> so, it was perfect. <clears throat> it was the perfect schnauzer. It was. <laughs> So for those just picking up movies on like DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever, I would give Dread a chance. I I know this is going to be incredibly obvious um, because of my professed love for Jeremy Renner, but I thought The Bourne Legacy was really good. And But I think my top movie of the year was Premium Rush. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Oh my god, it's... <laughs> I haven't seen anything yet, trust me. I, I just mean, saw Looper. Come on. Oh right. I mean, speaking of hardest working man in Hollywood this year, you had Joseph Gordon-Levitt in four movies this year? Yeah. Something like that. Lincoln. Lincoln. Looper. Dark Knight right. Rises. Looper. Premium Rush. And then um, Don John's Addiction just opened at Sundance uh, yesterday, according to his Twitter. He said it went really well. I don't know. <clears throat> Do we need to have a category somewhere for like best performance as another actor? <laughs> kind of. I think maybe because I love that shit. I love that shit. I can't wait for the next X-Men movie because they're folding in both the casts. It's like oh, yes. Looper with a cast of thousands in leather and spandex. <laughs> like that is what they're doing. Days of Future Past. I want to. I love it when like characters have to confront each other and it's like. Mm-hmm. You're me, but you're me, but oh my god, we have the same actorial tics. What are we gonna do? I just, I can't, I can't handle it. Oh my god, it's gonna be so awesome. Uh, For the second X-Men, I at least hope that they'd properly dub in Michael Fassbender this time. Because like, for the final 25 minutes of X-Men First Class, they just give up and he stops being German and starts being Irish. And it's really weird and distracting and hilarious. You know, there's that scene where it's like, I didn't even know I had that memory. And I, I keep wanting, you know, Charles to be like, 
wait, you're Jewish? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> oh, I, having not seen Where The Miz yet, did yeah, they do accents it. in The Miz? Did they do, like, the French accent? No, no, they did I it all in, in British boy. accents. Okay. Um, the, only, the only time a French accent appears is when Sasha Baron Cohen sings as Bernardier. That's it. Yeah. And they're like, wait, dude, why do you have it what? Claire, right. do you and, remember in Phantom when Madame Giry had a French accent? <laughs> I was just thinking that. Because yes. Yes, and then because Patrick Wilson didn't because even bother. That was just... I, I, why do people do that? It's like, why can't we just all agree to be consistent? No, no, somebody gotta be a show-off. That's yeah. all. And I think I generally Thenardier was, was keeping with the French accent when he was playing his part as master of the house and when he was just sort of when they weren't playing the role it was more british i don't know i was so shocked that he actually was good because when they first announced that he was playing the role i was like oh fuck he's really good in sweeney todd he's actually really good i think he's he's a better actor so he's a better actor than he actually does but I was just worried that he was going to, you know, bore at that shit up. Yeah, but here's the thing. Is that a bad... Act? Like, because being in those characters like Ali G or Borat, Borat, like, the character might be really stupid, but is that really bad acting, though? You know what I mean? No, it's, it's <laughs> real effort to do that. Yeah. It's going to be bad, but he was going to be bad at it. Hmm. I don't know if I'm explaining... I did... I... I yes! What he was going to do. Okay! Is it He's very good... At being obnoxious. Like, you don't necessarily enjoy it, but his immersive performance art, yeah. he's really good at it. It's like when he takes on a role he didn't write for himself, mm-hmm. he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at um, this year's chart just because I was like, what are the movies? Do-? People were really surprised that Moonrise Kingdom got, like, no attention at all because I've had – I read end of the year list where they were like, this was my favorite movie this year. This was the best movie this year. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it I yet because it was, I haven't seen it anything. Was going to get in, it would have gone in on the sort of quirky comedy spot, but I think Silver Linings Playbook kind of took that. And it also came out in Tilda Swinton is in the Moonrise Kingdom. Really? Oh, it's nuts. There's she's amazing. Everybody, everybody. Bruce Willis. Oh my God, everybody is. Like Edward Norton, Bruce Willis. Just, it's an amazing cast. And Bill mm-hmm. Murray. <laughs> we're not talking about the Oscars. Well, I mean, we just well, we're talking about movies, so it's fine. I'm just. Still. Um. Can I point out a couple Oscar things that I think deserve attention? Sure. Okay, one Academy Award nominee, Maggie Simpson, because The Simpsons is nominated for Best Animated Short. Yeah. And for some <laughs> reason, I'm highly entertained by that. That's um, fair. There's a, one of the Oscar shorts that I'll post in the show notes. It's called Fresh Guacamole, and it's about a one minute 30. And it's really strange, but incredibly inventive. And if you like Michel Gondry films, I think you'd really like this short. Um, but I think Disney might win that one. So... <laughs> As much as I'd like The Simpsons to win yeah. it, just because even later The Simpsons should get an Oscar. <laughs> um, documentary features this year some really good nominees. How to Survive a Plague, which is about the AIDS crisis, is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Although the one that I'm surprised isn't nominated, which was my favourite documentary of the year, is called The Queen of Versailles. I was surprised um, that it didn't get in. Yeah, if you've not seen that, it's about the um, this guy called David Siegel who owns the largest timeshare company in America, and he decides to build the most expensive house in the in the world that was going to be bigger than the White House, and it's going to cost about $100 million. And then right in the middle of it, the economic crash happens, and it's about 
how him and his trophy wife and their eight kids sort of cope with what is considered being poor for them. Mm-hmm. And it's strangely hypnotic to watch and it's a really fascinating sort of take on the American dream and a touch of schadenfreude, but it's really worth your time if you've never seen it. Because um, I thought I was going to come out of it just sort of laughing at them all and I didn't. I heard it was mm-hmm. surprisingly like more sympathetic. Kind of like, yeah, let's it just is. take it on their own terms, you know, not as judgmental as you would have expected. It's very sympathetic towards the sort of trophy wife because she sort of understands her place in life and she's self-absorbed, but she's not a horrible person. She just sort of gets up and copes with everything. I had a lot less sympathy, sympathy for him because of the way that you make money when you run timeshare, but it doesn't sort of point and laugh at them. It just presents what happens and says, well, this is what happens when you know shit goes down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you get the chance to see it, I'm sure that it'll be on some sort of indie channel in America because you guys get all the cool stuff like that. Right, it's <laughs> also on Netflix Instant Watch. Yeah, and the whole Netflix thing, which I don't have. <laughs> Check that out. And also Marina Abramovich, The Artist is Present, which is a documentary about the performance artist, who is mm-hmm. my favourite artist of all time. And she does her retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, where she's sits in a chair for three months and you're invited to sit opposite her and i can't describe it without it sounding completely ridiculous but it's incredibly beautiful and emotional and sort of talks about why this is actually art so please check out that one because i cried ugly tears watching that (laughs) i will say and this might might hurt this movie a little bit uh searching for sugar man 60 minutes basically did a 10 minute version of this uh segment they did that's actually a fascinating story where this guy basically became a huge folk music sensation in South Africa and didn't know it. <laughs> like, he was, you know, he put out his records and then just didn't find success, moved on with his life. Meanwhile, in South Africa, they picked it up as, like, this cult. You know, it, it, uh, I think they played his music when they were, um, protesting against apartheid and it like meant a lot to them and they didn't know what had happened to him and they thought he was dead (laughs) they were like well he just disappeared he must be dead so they went looking for him and they found him Mm -hmm. and they brought him to south africa and he finally like had this stadium concert full of people just so happy to see him and it was just i mean even in the 10 minutes 60 minutes spent on it it was just this amazing story. And then he went home and he lived his life in the same way he'd been living it for the last 30 years. Quiet little house and a job. Hmm. I mean, it was just – so, I mean, they've, they've got some good, uh, some good documentaries. And, but I was surprised by the ones they left out. I mean, again, it was one of those not enough space years. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. so much they could do. I don't know. Which is, you know, ultimately a good problem to have. Because everybody thought the world was going to end because the Mayans said so, and everybody just <laughs> did their best work for life. <laughs> we had to get it all out. Just, yeah. <laughs> just go on with means it. means 2013 is going to suck. <laughs> I, I do wonder how much of this was the, um, the screenwriters' strike that oh, yeah. now we're returning from not having anything for a couple of years, and everything, that wouldn't explain documentaries, but all the things people wanted to do that they couldn't during the strike. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like a rebound from that. I don't know. I think with documentaries as well, as they're actually getting some sort of mainstream attention now. You can there are now doc you know documentary film festivals and they're receiving a lot more coverage in sort of film journalism and which is always a good thing. And they're getting coverage on, you know, HBO and on BBC as well. 
So yeah, the waiter to release it is more chance to, to be able to see them. Thing. Okay, so I guess that kind of wraps all that up. Oh, the tech recommendation. Right. <laughs> I was getting there. I was getting. I wasn't. I forgot. <laughs> patient, impatient. I thought Canadians were supposed to be patient. Hey. Yes, we're very judgmental here. Um, so, Alina, do you have a tech recommendation for us this month? Yes, Raiden, I do. Okay, the tech rec for this episode is the Caliber ebook management program. If you if you read ebooks, I really I I don't think it actually has any competition in the market. Uh, it's it's great, you know, the the tagging system, the ability to import like all the the meta, the meta tag information just from the internet from both Amazon and Google Books and uh, including covers so it's really great and it it you can have third party plugins so you can have a goodreads plugin that will just upload the stuff you read directly to your goodreads shelf um, conversion plugins of, of all sorts it supports all the formats so if you if you read ebooks in any format and you want a better sorting system on the computer than say your default kindle program gifts because let's face it kindle and it kobo sucks. desktop <laughs> ones they suck i would go with caliber uh link in the show notes it's really the best out there for that right now yay hey cleo thank you so much it was good to be here. And um, next month, we're going to be talking about the Tenth Kingdom and fairy tales, modern and not. We will see everybody next time. Bye. 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 You have been listening to Anglophies, a made of fail production.